listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. So the podcast, he was saying, like, no one understands how hard it is because you get here before everybody else gets here. You you get here before everybody else gets here. You leave after everyone leaves. And these are not like 30 minute gets here before everybody else. Like you get to church two or three hours before you leave an hour after. And then he said, and if you're a, if you're a good production or worship leader, you're probably getting emails the next day or the day of talking about how you did a crappy job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and somebody doesn't like what you did or they don't like a song you sang or you know, you weren't ready on the queue or whatever. Um, and he was just telling the dude, he was like, yeah, y'all have the worst job in the church. Yeah. He said, cause you're also at the, you're also at the liberty of every other ministry. He said, literally everyone. He said, if the kids need something, well, guess who they're going to go to? The production of the worship person. Like if they need something te- technologically sound or uh, if they need some worship stuff or whatever, like where's the youth go? Well, they go to the production or the worship company or not company. Uh, you know, team, um, where did, where do you need on the weekends? And he said, and then your church starts adding services and they start adding, uh, buildings. And now you have multiple things you have to take care of. And he said, but you know, the other departments are not dependent upon the other departments. Right. Though the worship and production, uh, the other departments are dependent upon the worship and production. So yeah. like kids is not dependent upon youth. Youth is not dependent upon the weekend, technically right. like the pastoral care ministry, the prayer team worship and production are responsible for almost every, can be responsible for almost every ministry. And then he goes, not to mention all the other services you have throughout the week. What about all those things? And so they were talking specifically about like <clears throat> worship leaders uh, and production directors being burnt out and becoming cynical to the church and like super, uh, just super cynical. But <laughs> he's like, yeah, I could, he, <laughs> Finocchio, he's like, yeah, no, I know ton of production guys who are like rolling up quarter inches and they're cussing under their breath the whole time. He's like, that's not like unto the Lord. He's like, we took yeah. it away from him or whatever. Um, but it just made me think like, you know, you're a production director. I'm a worship pastor and I also do young adults and I've been a production director and I've done this for almost my, well, really my entire adult life. I've been in this avenue. And I was just thinking when I was listening to that podcast about the fact that like, if anybody, when you talk about like burnout, if anybody is going to burn out, should it not be those people? Yeah. Like those people who are there earlier, there later, dealing with all of the criticism, dealing with all the uh, technological crap. Cause you and I know both like technology doesn't freaking work all the time. And so if it doesn't work, then you're like, it's killing my time. Like I have to go troubleshoot yeah. this thing. And now, so like if anybody is going to burn out, uh, especially in the church world. Um, and I would say in the um, in the corporate world, it would be people who deal with like technology yeah. and have to use that. And then are at the whim of every other company that they, or every other department in their company that they work for. I think that we could look to worship pastors and production directors to highlight possibly the reason why you could not burn out too. So, so here's what I mean. I actually wouldn't do this job at any other church. I mean, unless the church was exactly like this one. Yeah. I, I actually wouldn't do this job. You, at you this love church. this job and hate this job at the same time. Yeah. I wouldn't do this job at this <laughs> church if it was, if the structure of it was forced on me in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So the, the reason I didn't burn out, this is the entire reason I didn't burn out in production is because I decided I'm going to, I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. As long as I'm not, I'm not controlling the product. Like the weekend is going to be what the weekend's going to be. And we have to meet the vision of the, of leadership. And so, but there's a lot of in, in between space between meeting the vision at the, in the final product versus how you get there. Mm -hmm. And I decided, okay, I'm going to change the way that I work so that it be becomes not only tolerable, but enjoyable. And if that gets me fired, then so be it. 
And like, that's, that's the way that was the approach. And I think that has to be the approach. I think people who burn out are people who are not courageous enough to stand up for themselves and to conduct themselves. Now, again, we're not saying that it's okay to be like, okay, well, I'm going to stand up for myself and therefore I'm not showing up this weekend. Therefore I'm going to take this weekend off and no one's going to say anything. That's not what I'm saying here, but I'm saying that when you work for a place, the culture here is so good that you have autonomy over virtually everything you do mm-hmm. as long as you're doing your job. The end as goal long as, is yeah, met. as long as the end goal is met. And that's a healthy place to be. If you if you work at a place like that, you have a you've won the lottery. Yeah. And you need to start taking advantage of it. Yeah. Like you need to start using that. Because look, good leadership knows what they're paying for. They know okay, this is what I want to achieve by hiring this person. This is the end result. And the same is true of volunteers, even though they're not hired. Like they, they could get to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like when, when you ask someone to volunteer in production, what you're asking for is for them to provide a certain product. And if they can do that, then who cares how they do that? As long as they do it. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as they're not sinning along the way, that sort of thing. Um, if I had just accepted if I had just accepted defeat and was like, okay, there's only one way to do this job. There's only one way to carry it out. And I have to either, I just have to suck it up and do it. I would have burned out. Yeah. And I think that's why people burn out. I think that they just let themselves get run over continuously. Like what, what would you do if I came up to you during the week and I tried to tell you how you should be producing music or how you should be leading worship? And I was like, you know, your process, I don't like your process. I want you to do it the way <laughs> I want you to do it. How, what would your reaction be? Well, do you, I'm not going to give my actual reaction <laughs> on a recorded thing, but uh, it would not be, uh, it would not be warm. I can tell you that. Yes. And, and that's why you don't burn out. <clears throat> I would say that's one of the chief reasons why you don't burn out because you know yourself, you know what you're able to do smoothly and what you're not able to do smoothly. And you fight to be able to work in the way that works for you. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, uh, let's, let's back up a little bit. You're, you're listening to the Uloft podcast. It's me and Michael, me is Kendall. Um, and honestly today I wanted you to kind of get in, uh, in the middle of a conversation that this is not just a conversation that Michael and I have had, uh, here at the podcast desk. Like we've had this conversation, um, in many different iterations through the course of a couple of years. And, um, just something struck me this morning while I was listening to another podcast, uh, called the church front podcast. And, uh, one of the guys on there, Nathan Finocchio, um, who is a, a thought leader, um, kind of in, in the, uh, evangelical church, um, was just, you know, giving his two cents on it, uh, uh, essentially. And what I wanted you to do today was just kind of like enter into the conversation. So if you weren't sure where we were going or where we started, that's okay. I want, it's almost like you just walked into our lobby and you're listening to us uh, communicate about this. So let, let's back up a little bit and let's talk out. We are talking about burnout today and not specifically burnout in the church, although, um, because we're in the church world, that's where I hear it all the time. I've been hearing it like nonstop for about five, six, seven years about, oh, don't want to burn out. Oh, I'm really burned out. Or, ah, you know, I just can't, I can't serve anymore because I'm just I'm burned out, you know? Or I don't really want to, I'm not sure I want to attend church every every weekend. Like, are you sure every Sunday? Like, man, I'm just kind of burned out on, you know, the whole church thing. Like, so we, we need to talk about that because I think that it is, um, and normally Michael hosts and asks all the questions, but I think I might just, we might go back and forth with it. We need to talk about specifically why is this a, almost like a new thing, right? Like our grandparents, uh, our our grandparents or great grandparents, if you're listening to this and you're in Gen Z, it's probably your great grandparents. Those fools fought two world wars. <laughs> and I don't think they were ever talking about it. You know, what about the people that were in the depression and were working as hard as they could as farmers to make nothing? You know, um, is this a first world problem? Do people in third worlds uh, experience burnout? Do, um, you know, do other generations experience burnout? Are they experiencing it? And then they don't even know that they're experiencing it. Is this an actual psychological phenomena or or, uh, physical? Um, Or is it something that is like, it's kind of... um, it's a pseudo psychological <laughs> phenomena. Like, what is that? I think that we're, that's where we kind of need to launch the conversation going forward. 
Okay, so let's start by differentiating between uh, a person who has a direction to the exclusion of a bunch of other directions. So, for instance, if you as the worship pastor, if I came up to you and said, hey, I want you to start doing pastoral care in addition to um, leading worship, Mm -hmm. you would say no without thinking twice about it. And that does not mean that you're burned out. That just means that you know what you're doing and you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And... um, the thing that I see with this kind of burnout that we're talking about um, is people, there are people who will stop serving and they'll just stop serving. Like it's not that they're stopping doing, they're not, it's not like they're, okay, I'm going to leave the worship team so that I can run visuals or I'm going to leave the worship team because I really want to do, mm-hmm. I want to work, work in kids. That's not what's happening. What's happening is they're saying, oh, I'm burned out. So I'm just going to stop doing anything altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's not acceptable. Um, now I, I understand a Sabbath and a need for rest, but, um, even that is limited in some sense, because I tend to approach this from the perspective of your Christianity is not a day spa. Okay. It's a cross to bear. It's, it's more suffering than it's not suffering. Uh, it's just because we live in a broken world. And if you could have everything that you wanted in this life, then why do you need Jesus? Why do you need heaven? Why mm-hmm. do you need the hereafter? Why do you need any of that? Why is the world broken? Maybe you've gotten everything that you want in life because you've aligned yourself so closely with a broken world. So yeah. like there, there's dangers here, I think, that we need to really sort through. Yeah, I think that the um, the issue with the Gen Z millennial generation, because I would say that's like where burnout, quote unquote, is most prevalent. Um, is millennial. Some Gen Xers like kind of feel it every once in a while, um, but Gen X, millennial, Gen Z. So that's like if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s to 30s or all the way up into your mid 40s-ish, uh, right? Um, those are the people who are experiencing it. And if you look at it, these are the first generations in America that have experienced what you're saying, getting everything that they want, essentially, right? Like they are the first generations to fully live the American dream starting in the sixties and on. Um, <clears throat> so that might be the boomers, but really we could even get into like the seventies and eighties where they're, they're Xers and on, right? You've gotten, you've had, you've not had to fight world wars. You've not had to see the world crumble. You've not had to see, yeah, we've had 2008 happen and we had 2011 happen or sorry, 2001 happen. We've seen crazy things happen, Right. But for the most part, the American dream, the westernized dream is alive and well of if you work hard, um, you can get whatever you want and you can do whatever you want and you can achieve whatever you want and you can be who you want and all of your wildest dreams will come true, right? Like that's the, that is what's been sold since the 80s um, and that would hit all of those particular generations. And even now, we're still selling that. Even though we have a recession, even though uh, you know we're not as well off economically as we were uh, in the '80s and the '90s, like even though those things uh, are not prevalent, we still have the mindset and the ideology that we can do whatever we want, be whatever we want, achieve our dreams. You go and you take it. Because of that ideology, there is not much understanding of what real sacrifice is. Right. So, I. Um, for instance, I was watching this cooking show with my wife uh, the past couple of, of weeks or past couple of days. And on this cooking show, and you can literally use any show that is like they're, uh, they've been doing this thing for a long time and they're trying to win a bunch of money against a bunch of other people who've been doing something for a long time, right? This is like a mix between Big Brother, Survivor, and uh, The Iron Chef. And so these people get voted off. They're trying to win $100,000. You know, they get voted off because their food sucks or whatever. Somebody just doesn't like them. And every one of them is always like, you just don't know how much I've sacrificed to be here. You just don't know how much I've given up to be in this place. And I love this food so much and I've done this and I've sacrificed these things. And I would venture to say, and this is a Kindle opinion, okay? So you can write it off, I don't care. A Kindle opinion is that you think you've sacrificed, but really all you've done is goal set. And you've set goals for yourself of where you want to be and you've chased after a dream. And to me, that is not sacrifice. Chasing after a dream is not necessarily a sacrifice. I think defending an ideology is sacrificial. I think defending spirituality or your, uh, your, um, your salvation, not your salvation, your belief, your faith can be a sacrifice because it's, 
yeah, you, like I watched this guy last night when he said, yeah, I've given time up with my friends or I've given time up with my family to pursue this dream of cooking. And it's like, but in the end, all you're doing is benefiting yourself. Sacrifice, true sacrifice comes with, is there really a benefit at the end? I don't know, but I'm going to jump off the ledge anyways. And in my attempt to hopefully get to this place where I think the payoff is and the betterment of other people, like, I don't think true sacrifice can be, uh, um, can be, what is the word I'm looking for? It can be um, intrinsic. Like it's not an intrinsic value. Like I'm not doing it. Maybe that's the wrong word. I'm not doing it for myself. Like it's not transactional. Yeah. Like I'm sacrificing for other people. That's what a sacrifice is. A true sacrifice is I'm going to lay this down, not because I want to be the best at what I do, but because I'm doing this for other people. Now, that's a gray area. Um, for me personally, when I was trying to pursue athletics, I would say, oh yeah, I'm pursuing this to be the best that I possibly can so that one day I can provide for my family with this money or whatever, right? But at the end of the day, if you really boiled it down, I was trying to be the best that I possibly could be personally. Yeah. And the money, of- the money stuff was an afterthought. Right. There are some people out there that I do believe, um, <clears throat> that I do believe because I've been around them, come from poverty-stricken homes and they are going to work their tail off to be the best athlete they can possibly be or the best musician that they can possibly be and they do in fact give back to their community yeah. when they achieve that. And I think that's real sacrifice. But if you're doing a sacrificial act, quote unquote, so that you can personally benefit, then that becomes a problem. All that to say, I think this is where our burnout issue stems of I feel... Like I'm sacrificing so much, but I'm not seeing the benefit of my sacrifice like I think I should. So yeah. therefore my expectations are not being met. I have these expectations that if I sacrifice A, B, and C, that I should get back X, Y, and Z. But when I only get back X and Y, I'm like, man, I don't know if that sacrifice is worth it. Yeah, so it's really easy to describe, or it's really easy to disguise self-interest as sacrifice. Like you can... You can join a church and you can say, I want to, I want to sacrifice and be on the worship team, but really what you want is to be on stage mm-hmm. and you want the accolades that come Yeah, that, that stuff happens all the time. I mean, that, that's in, that, <laughs> to me, that one right there is a really low hanging fruit, but yeah. it's so true. It's well, those so people, those people burn out too, because yeah. what happens is like they're high on the attention of the congregation mm-hmm. for a while, but then that just gets, that becomes well, and, normal. And yeah, it like, becomes normal. And if you're at a really good church, uh, those people burn out because at a really good church, you don't get all the accolades on the stage. You know, if you're yeah. at a, if you're at a bad church uh, that has a toxic culture, then yeah, you're a rock star. And it's really easy to keep doing what you're doing because you're a freaking rock star. But if you're at a real good Christ centered church, then you're not a rock star. Yeah. Cause, cause you could be replaced like, and you will be. And even if that person is not as good as you, you will be replaced. Right. You know, like it, you don't have, you don't get to live the rock star status. So, okay. So there's a couple different things at play here then when it comes to burnout. The first thing that we have at play is mitigating needless misery. Um, and then the second thing we have at play is understanding what the purest form of sacrifice is so that we can manage expectations going into something. So on the side of mitigating needless misery, like you can think of this, like if you wake up and from the moment you wake up, like you're just met with chaos and disorder because you haven't taken care of your house. And then you go out to your car and your car is a piece of crap, not because you're poor, but because you don't take care of it. You know, like there's all of this stuff that's happening in your life. You get to work and no one likes you because you don't put time and effort into (laughs) the relationships with the people there. All of these spaces where sacrifice has not happened on your part. Um, You haven't invested yourself in your energies into making your own day to day Mm -hmm. better. You will be crushed by needless misery so much so that burnout is really the only thing on offer for you because your life yeah. sucks. Like your yeah, life is like terrible. it's not it's not just your work or it's not just your uh, sacrifices for work. Yeah, it's and everything else around right. you. And this this is not this is not the kind of suffering I think that Christ talks about. Like the 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 picking up your cross and struggling uphill towards the city of God 
is a different form of suffering than the suffering that is a consequence of you just being a schmuck. I literally have heard people be like, well, I got a flat tire today, you know, <sighs> got to pick up my cross. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. Or, Dang it, I got that speeding ticket. Better pick up my cross. <laughs> how, how, about, how about you don't speed? <laughs> um, and, and so that's the thing is like, we're not saying that suffering belies virtue here. We're not saying that just because you, this is that people say it's, sometimes they misquote the Beatitudes and they think that uh, anyone who's persecuted for any reason at all is blessed. Mm -hmm. And so then you end up with people who are preaching a false gospel and then everyone is persecuting them for that. And then they double down because they say, oh, <laughs> Jesus told me I'd be persecuted. So I'm just going to keep doing this. And they get stuck in this negative feedback loop of misery. And so there is a substantial amount of needless misery that will just take over your life like a tsunami if you don't do your due diligence every day. Like seriously, you can go home and go through your house. I've done this quite a bit. You can walk through your house and ask yourself, what are all the little things that I could rearrange or put here or better systems I could implement that would make my day just a little bit easier? And if you do that the whole way through your house, your whole life becomes better. Mm -hmm. You can do that in six months. You can change your entire quality of life just by going through your house and putting your own room together. That was Jordan Peterson's thing. Yeah. So that's kind of the needless misery part of it. And then you've laid out the, the problem of mismanaging your expectations. And so going into it, with the wrong expectations. And I think that this is, like you said, it's a consequence of a bad ideology that's been sold to Americans in particular. And I think one of the things here, I was thinking about this on the way, when I was on my way into work this morning, democracy is good, but it's not inherently good the way that we tend to teach that it is. I think that democracy, self-governance by people who are obedient to God is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's the that's Israel before they appoint Saul as their king. Yeah. Um, but self governance <clears throat> without God is just mob rule. Like it's just it it, it becomes mob rule. It, it becomes so corrupt that it's you know it, it's no longer a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's no longer a good way of governing. And so maybe the American dream. Let's try to figure out what it is about the American dream that's good when that thing is told as part of the greater context of living a life for God or being subordinate to God. Like, why is it that the American dream is attractive to people? And why is it that something that seems good can undermine a person's ability to serve God? Like, yeah, where, well, where do the, we go So straight? I think the American dream is not that you can, it's not just that you can be anything that you work hard to be. It's that you can be anything that you work hard to be and you can achieve a lot and that achieving a lot, quote unquote, comes into or is manifested in property, in wealth, in power, all those things, right? Juxtapose that with, I was watching a video uh, yesterday with my son about these drones that are silent drones and it's called Zipline and it's a company out of Rwanda, okay? Um, the guy who started the company uh, actually they've delivered, let me, let me backtrack a little bit at any given time. Um, there could be hundreds of these planes of these drones in Rwanda delivering, um, medical supplies to hospitals that we would normally take four to five hours to get these things to this drone company will drop it in 30 minutes wow. anywhere. Hmm. And they've saved countless lives. Um, and they've made, I think, over half a million drops at this point. They've been around for a few years. And um, they were talking specifically about, uh, it started in Rwanda as a medical delivery company. Now, Zipline has a different CEO than, this, than the guy who started it. And they are trying to bring it to America to deliver fast food. <laughs> 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 to yeah. cut down on, now they say it's to cut down on, you know, toxic uh, CO2 emissions from cars and like less cars on the road and whatever, right? That, that's, that's their aim at it. But the way that I look at it is, <laughs> okay, you have two forms of thinking. In Rwanda, they're thinking we can save lives. And this is what the most important thing is, is to save these lives that are at stake here. And then we've taken it to America and we say, you know, it'd be really awesome 
is if I don't have to pay another fee for somebody to drive and it costs me less money to actually get my food delivered to me faster and it can drop it to me right here and right now or my groceries or whatever. And I'm not saying that's bad. Like I actually like the idea. It's pretty cool. But you look at a capitalist idea, which is what the American dream is built upon. I'm not saying capitalism is bad, but you look at a capitalist idea that is going to capitalize on this great technology that was built specifically for actually helping people that wasn't built for making a ton of money. Now, you look at those two ideas and the reason why they're different is because the guy who started at Rwanda, he, um, as a child, his, his family was killed in the Rwandan uh, genocide. He actually has a scar on his skull, on his head, where he was macheted and left for dead, but he survived. Then he went and got his schooling and he went to uh, engineering and robotics at Harvard and Stanford. A dude from Rwanda then made this company to help the people that he really had a need, that really had a need in his country. And that's why he did all of these things was to give back to his community. Now, if I just said, man, this guy who lived in poverty, uh, worked really hard and was really smart and then got a, a scholarship to Harvard and got a scholarship to Stanford. And then he went back and he made robotics and he uh, learned how to code and all this stuff all so that he could deliver fast food and make a million dollars or a billion dollars, whatever it is. That's the American dream. Yeah, and he would but be if, celebrated. Yes, and he America, would be celebrated. Right? But if I stop it before Annie's going to make a billion dollars for delivering food, if I stop it and then backtrack to Annie's going to save people in his country by enabling this medical, uh, <clears throat> you know, whatever, the blood medical supplies, me enabling them to be there, you know, six times faster that's where the difference is between the American right. dream and that's what the good is in the American dream. The good part is you can be from anywhere and be anybody and you can work hard to achieve great things. The yeah. next thing that the American dream teaches though is, and those great things are possessions. Without that, yeah. you just have what it means to be a dreamer and what it means to have like a passion and what it means to want to help people. That is self that is not sacrificing for your own self-interest that is sacrificing this guy for an entire country to help yeah i really like that uh illustration in terms of pointing out the need for a superordinate guiding ethic behind all of your sacrifices so everything that you're doing you're doing unto the glory of god yeah let's say and when you don't do that well then you have to do it for something. And if God is not part of your worldview, then it seems only rational that you would do it for money. Yeah. You would do it for power. That yeah. You would do it for all of these things that can bring you other things. Yeah. And so, and then the issue becomes, and this is, I think why the lefties will say like capitalism's evil and all this is because capitalism becomes evil when evil people are conducting it. Mm -hmm. And so this is where this is, is the difference between the guy who produces the drones for the medical devices versus the guy who produces the drones for the fast food. It's that one of them is operating under an ethic and one of them is operating, operating under a different ethic. Mm -hmm. And this is up to the individual. This is not up to the systems that, that are in place. This yeah. is up to whether or not an individual is subordinate to God. And so much like democracy, capitalism's not a good thing unless the people who are participating in it have a moral framework, which yeah. is, um, which pr provides guidance sufficient to harness the immense power that self-governance and capitalism mm -hmm. brings for a good aim. Yeah. And if you don't have that, then all you have is a very, very powerful weapon that you get to point at all the wrong things and yeah. you can cause all kinds of destruction with it. And so, you know, when people, this goes back to the issue of people coming into a church um, wanting to serve, but what they're trying to achieve with their service is the wrong thing. Yeah. And then that becomes part of burnout. So, well, yeah. And we're, we're, so <clears throat> to give you context as well, if you're listening to this, we're in a series called Killer Church. And we're talking about specifically like the things that we can do personally as Christians or as believers or as churchgoers that we can and have been doing to kind of kill the church, to make the church a killer church. Because um, the bride that Christ set up, um, the church, big C church that God set up is not 
killer. Like it's life giving. Um, so what are the things that we're doing and mishandling and um, misrepresenting and misunderstanding uh, <clears throat> that are actually killing our, uh, churchgoers that are killing, you know, our need for the church or that are killing the beauty of the church. And what you, you said it exactly what the, what, uh, my, my point illustrated was that you have to have a, like a guiding moment or a guiding reason Mm -hmm. for why you are doing what you are doing. And if you do that, you literally can get through anything. Yeah, and now you might right. be on the other side of this and you might, you know, you might have just heard my voice in your ear holes and been like, no, <laughs> there's no way you can't get through anything. No, you can. Yeah. Because it's been documented. Mm-hmm. It's been documented over history that people who are facing imminent death, imminent danger, people who are facing terrible situations for years on years on years are asked if they come out on the other side, they're asked, how did you get through this? Well, you know, I was just focused on this one thing. And no yeah. matter what, if I was focused on this one thing, and usually it's not a personal uh, introspective thing. Usually it's something that's on the outside of them, that people will face, uh, face hard um, issues and survive because they're thinking about others yes. more than themselves. Yes. And when they start to think about others more than themselves, there's an extra gear that takes place. And you can see this in the corporate world. You can see this in the church world. Um, You know, I've seen it in the corporate world where there are people who are working. And if you're just working for money and for accolades and all that, you are going to hate your job at some point and burn out. It's going to happen. Whether it happens in one decade or two or three or four, it doesn't really matter because at some point the money's not enough. At some point, you know, the houses aren't enough. At some point the cars aren't enough. It, It is. But if you say you're not even a believer, say you're just a good father or a good mother, And you're like, you know what? I'm working double shifts all the time. And gosh, do I hate this. But I got kids that I've got to feed. And if I got to feed these kids and if I got to work my butt off to make sure that these kids are surviving and that I can be the best dad or the best mom that I can possibly be to these kids, then so be it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do what I have to do. And I've seen that time and time again. And the only reason that they get through, the only reason they can make those sacrifices, which are painful, is because they're doing it for another person. So as someone who has kids, would you say that that thought process of I have to take care of these kids, I have to feed these kids, I'm going to do what I have to do, even though this sucks and I'm burning, I feel like I'm burning out. There's, it's never, a, it's never an option to quit because of the kids. Um, is that coming from a place of you're more afraid of what would happen to your kids than you are afraid of continually sacrificing? Or is it like a positive thing? Like, are you running from no, no, a no, terror? No, 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 it's a, you... it's a positive thing. What it helps you do is it helps you change your perspective. All of life is perspective. Like really how you, how you view life, how you filter circumstances, how you filter interactions, how you filter relationships, how you filter and have perspective can really determine the course of your life. And so whenever you, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever you are, whenever I'm making those decisions, it is solely based off of, I'm not trying to outrun burnout. I'm not trying to outrun uh, life sucking. <laughs> like, yeah, but are you, it, are you trying it, to outrun like what would happen to your kids if you stopped? No, not necessarily. Not, no, not it's it. more of a positive thing of like, no, this is beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I, I wanted to tell this story um, at the, and I might've told it before, but at the height of the pandemic, okay? In 2020, everything shut down. I had just been hired at this church um, to be a full-time employee. And uh, I was the production director. And within two weeks, no, three weeks, <laughs> the entire world shut down. And now I'm responsible for every service going online. And not only every service going online, I'm responsible also um, to make sure we get content out to Instagram for uh, our young adults, that we have Bible studies, that we film this Bible study, and that we film this worship session, and that we have worship on Mondays because everybody's just sitting around at home doing nothing. So why don't we just go ahead and play some worship and prayer? Like responsible for all those things, right? I remember standing in my basement one time after I worked out like that afternoon and I had got a text as I was working out that something wasn't edited properly. And this was a Friday afternoon. Our services are released on Saturday. And in order to edit this thing, I would have had to like, literally it was, it wasn't just one clip. It was like 15 different clips, um, all sparse throughout an hour long session that I would have to go search for and then edit out and figure out a way to edit out. I knew this was going to take me a whole day to do. And I was frustrated. And so I called my boss and was like, I, what am I supposed to do? 
I can't do this anymore. Like I was mad, you know, like I, 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 I let it go a little bit. Like how am I supposed to be doing these things? Blah, blah, blah. And after I got off the phone, I sent a text afterwards after I let myself go. And I said, you know what? All that means nothing. And I just need to suck it up and do it. I said, because I could be working 16 hour days in the pipeline, hating my life, making way more money than this, but never yeah. seeing my family and never, uh, and being in a worse environment and whatever. And so then I, I finished that conversation with, so thank you for giving me this opportunity <laughs> to edit this video for another four hours. Yeah, You know, and like, it's a perspective shift. Cause I yeah. can tell you if I was ever on the edge of a burnout, it was that time. Cause it was, you know, eight to nine hour days of, of recording, of editing, of re-editing, of editing again, of coloring, of mixing music. I mean, it was very difficult. It was basically me and two other people doing all these things. Um, and it was, it was hard to do, but I had to have that moment where I had perspective finally come in and go, Oh yeah, but it's not this. And this sacrifice is not just for me. And it's not about my family. And it's not about what I have to do. It's about the fact that I'm trying to get service out to these people and it not look stupid and be a distraction. Because like at the end of the day, that's what it was. The edit that I needed to make would have been a major distraction for some people watching. And if I point back to that and say, I've just got to do it so that these people aren't distracted in their worship to God, aren't distracted in their time to hear God, whatever. They're already distracted enough because they're at their house. <laughs> like yeah. if I can do a better job at that, then I need to do that. And it wasn't about me. I got frustrated and wanted to be burnt out when it was about me, but you can't make it about yourself. Any sacrifice, if you make it about yourself, it is no longer a sacrifice. Yeah, so there's wisdom in always keeping your eye or at least one eye on the worst <clears throat> thing, like on the where you could be if not here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your case, it was the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I think that for, for everybody, you have like worse is a very deep hole and you you have things, you have ways that your life could be that it's not that way right now and you should have gratitude for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that gratitude is one of the things that people who are burned out, like they just don't display it much. Um, and maybe it's because they don't think about the, you know, the they don't think about all the ways in which their life could be worse. And they don't see, they're not drawing the connection between their current sacrifices and the protection from being sucked into that worst thing. And so I think that there's use in everywhere you go, no matter how far you ascend the the ranks of your goals, you should always keep in mind what your life could be if you, if you quit, if you Mm -hmm. quit now, it's going to get really bad for you and and it's still going to suck. And so you might as well go through what sucks now and do your best at it because that's protecting you from the worst thing. And so there, there's that. And then there's also this idea of knowing why you're doing something. So Viktor Frankl, he was a psychologist who survived Auschwitz. And he said that a man with a why can overcome almost any how. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's putting language to what you're saying also with this idea that if you know why you're doing what you're doing, you can overcome the odds and you can get through a lot of hard things. And so you're saying that the why needs to be other oriented. And so you hear this a lot with like survivors and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, there was a news correspondent, Benjamin Hall, who was hit by a missile in Ukraine. And um, he, like one of the things that had happened to him right, right after that happened was he saw his daughter like in, in a vision. Mm. And, you know, he was thinking about his family and um, that motivated him. Like if you ask him now, he would say that if you told him he's going to go through this, he would say, oh, there's no way I can go through that. I'm not going to make it through. Yeah. I can't go through it. Yeah. But he, but in the moment, mm. as it was happening, he made it through because he's focusing on his family and he wants to get back to his family. And so you hear this time and time again with people. <clears throat> um, I think this is in some, in some form why we're not able to see the future, like why God hides the future from us. Yeah. Because I think that if we knew what's coming, um, we would crumble in fear and we wouldn't be able to, we would think that there's no way I'm going to get through. Well, we would either crumble in fear or on the positive side of it, we would see what the outcome is and be like, Oh yeah, I do want that. So yeah, yeah, I'll sacrifice now because I want that. And then it's not a sacrifice. Now that I know those Powerball numbers. Yeah. It's just a stepping stone, right? Like if I knew, um, I don't know, man, say, you know, 
take take the uh, take the kid from poverty for for example that ends up becoming an NFL or uh, NBA player, right? Or the guy who's in Cuba that ends up or not Cuba, I guess, because you have to defect. So Puerto Rico who gets to play in the MLB, who makes millions of dollars, who helps his family out, right? Like if he could see the end <clears throat> and he knows where he's gonna go, uh, then all those sacrifices they're easy. Yeah, then it like, becomes transactional again. Yeah, then it becomes like, you know, when you go to work. Um, I think this is why. So okay, so when people burn out, a lot of times people who burn out in volunteer uh, roles will say things like, "Oh, well, I'm not being paid to do this. You're being paid. That's why you're not burned mm-hmm. out." Yeah, like they'll say things like that because the and the reason is, um, I think when they they go to work, they know with pretty much certainty that they're getting a paycheck after two weeks. Mm-hmm. So they know that they're there's going to be a reward. And so there's less sacrifice to it. It's not the purest form of sacrifice. Yeah. There's still some sacrifice in the sense that, you know, you don't get to lay on a feather bed eating peeled grapes all day. <laughs> like that's not what you're doing. You have to actually get up and go do some work, but yeah. you're doing it because you know that you're going to get a paycheck. Now, if you, if you said to those same people, I want you to go do your job and we're not going to pay you. You're just going to do it out of your own benevolence. Most of them, I don't even, I don't think I could do it for free, honestly. Like, <laughs> I, I think that it's, that would be a hard ask. Yeah. Um, but the reality is there are lots of people who do volunteer service for the church for free their entire life. And yeah. they have jobs. They have, they have to make money. There's pastors who do that, man. Yeah. Like there, just, most pastors in the world are not like, they're bivocational. It's and really, they don't get paid by the church. It's admirable to me. And I wonder like, how they do it but then i i kind of think okay well if i was forced into that position maybe i would do it too because the alternative is worse and maybe that's what it means to be called right Mm -hmm. like if you're called to something so you get paid to be a worship pastor now but it's my understanding that you would do it for you have done it for free Mm -hmm. you have done it without pay Mm -hmm. that's because you're called to do this thing you're called to do ministry and so not doing it um, you know, puts the fire in your bones and it makes yeah. you feel um, like you're not doing your job and it's just, you, you're just bursting at the seams with ministry. You want to do it. And so, you know, maybe I'm selling myself short in a sense. Like if I had to have a job, uh, you know, doing something else, I would still want to do ministry. And I well, would I, do think, it for free. I think, and this is where we'll land today because I want to do some practical stuff, but I want to do it next week after we've had our serving talk at United. Um, so, you're describing what I would, what I think as a biblical principle of like God's grace, like, you know, yeah, God's grace is in salvation and it's in protection and it's, and it's all that. However, there is a grace that is sufficient for you to endure suffering or for you to endure sacrifice or for you to endure whatever. And so I think like, yeah, I, I believe I'm called to ministry and that's been one of the reasons why I've been able to do it uh, for free at some point. So that's when I've been, that's why I've been drawn back into it. Even when I had opportunities to leave, I, I, th- I think that for sure. But I also think that God has given me the grace to be able to give all that I have into this particular field and not feel like I'm giving too much or not feel like I'm just, Oh, it's just too much. Like, I feel like I've been given that grace. I feel like certain pastors who are missionaries uh, are actually not pastors, just missionaries, right? Missionaries who have to go live in the bush in Africa, um, you know, and they do it with a smile on their face and with joy in their hearts, like true, real joy. And they're making no money. That's God's grace to them, right? Yeah. God's graced them to be able to do that. He hasn't graced me to do that. I wouldn't be able to do that stuff. Yeah. Like, but he's given them the grace to be able to do so. But he's because he's he's called them to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think like that's another thing too is that again, it's not even about me. It's not about my mental fortitude. It's not about my ability to work on my schedule properly. It's not about like those things are helpful and they're practical and I want to do give some practical tips next week. But man, at the end of the day, like it really is the grace of God to be able to do whatever I'm able to do. If you, if you are, um, and not many people listening to this are now, but they will be, if you're a parent, guess what God has graced you to be able to do? He's graced you to be able to take care of your kids even when it sucks mm-hmm. and even when it's really difficult. Like, and sometimes if there's ever a moment where I experience, like start to experience a little bit of burnout, a little bit of twitchy eye, it's when <laughs> like I have all three of my kids like 
going wild. Like, it's in, <laughs> in fact, like my son Cannon told me the other day, he goes, yeah, what are we going to do on Friday? And I'm like, go to school. And he's like, no, we don't have school. And inside of me, like, <laughs> there's a little bit that died inside of me, like, dang, this is my day off. I can really just kind of do yeah. what I want. Like, I can play disc golf by myself. Like, but then like, I have to, you know, again, I have to filter it and I have to give perspective to, yeah, but it's better for me just to hang out with the kids. Like, is it gonna is it gonna affect me in a selfish way? Like, do I not get to be as selfish as I want to be on Friday? Absolutely. But is it better for my children? Yes, it's better for my children. So then I have a choice to make, right? I have a choice to say, I'm gonna sacrifice my time and my uh, energy so that I can <clears throat> be the best father that I can possibly be. And so you're you might be listening to this and not have that uh, opportunity. But you will at some point, mostly, statistically, you most of you will have that opportunity and you will be graced with the ability to make those decisions of, no, I am going to sacrifice for my kids today. I am going to take care of them even when it's two o'clock in the morning and they won't freaking go to sleep. Like <laughs> I've got to figure out a way to to treat them right, to parent them properly. And that is even in itself sacrificial. And it is by the grace of God to be able to do those things uh, well. Yeah. And you end up becoming a better person for it. And that's something that I think that you'll see, um, you know, that you'll grow through all of that. So bring this back to Killer Church real quick before we end. Um, You had said something earlier about how a killer church is not always the thing that causes burnout, but that people who burn out could actually produce a killer church. And I think that there's wisdom in this. I think that a lot of times what you see are people burn out and then they blame the church for their own burnout. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's maybe in some narrow set of circumstances, could that be true? But that's definitely not the main cause here. Like we've outlined all the main causes Mm -hmm. of burnout and almost all of them are based on the individual. Yeah. Almost all of them are based on They're an individual perspective. Yes. And so if you're quick to blame the church and you're quick to say, oh, I'm in a killer church because I'm burned out. If I was in a life-giving church, I'd feel alive and I feel burned out. So like, how would you speak to somebody who does that? Like jumps from church to church, you know, because they're just burning out one after another. I would just simply ask them a question. Why are you, why do you believe in Jesus and why do you follow him? Because if it's for your own salvation and if it's for your own goodness, if it's for your own, uh, you know, ability to get to do what you want to do or... Uh, it's all based on what you get, then I don't think that, uh, not saying you're not saved, I don't think that's a good enough reason. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I think that the the reason has to be, has to lay in the foundation of, I want to serve God and I believe in Jesus because he is ultimate truth, because he is God, because he's the only one that's faithful, because he's the only one that's true, because anytime I sacrifice for him, I know that he has done way more for me in sending his son, Jesus, and because I want other people to know about Jesus, because I want them to experience the love of God, the true, pure love of God, not I want to just feel good and have a ticket to heaven. Yeah. You know, and and check the boxes, right? Like somebody who is serving is... Pr- and also has that mindset might be just checking the boxes. Yeah. I think that's wise having them check their mindset because there is a mindset on offer where you become much like the disciples when Christ asks them if they're going to leave also. And they say, well, where are we going to go? Like, what else are we going to do? Because if God, if Christ is the most important thing in your life, Mm -hmm. then he's the most important thing in your life. And then how can you burn out from that? Not only would you not burn out, but you're terrified of losing. There's a, there's a case study that I, I have not had the time to do, and I keep saying I'm going to do it. I probably won't get to it until I'm in my 40s, to be honest. Um, But I really want to study the disciples. I don't think enough study has been done on the individual disciples and like um, from a psychological standpoint, right? Like why did they follow Jesus? Why were they able to just drop their nets? Like, uh, you know, the, the tie between psychological and faith, right? Why did they just drop their nets when they were called as fishermen? Why did Matthew leave as a tax collector making bank with the Roman government to follow Jesus and have nothing. Why did he, why would they do that? Why Thomas who doubted most of the time really want to hang out with Jesus? Like, what is the point? 
I don't understand. Like, yeah, how even, is he able to with all that doubt? Yes, like, and even Thomas to not only had doubt, they called him the twin. He looked like Jesus. So if Jesus was going to die and they forgot what Jesus looked like, really, they could have got Thomas instead. Like, so he should have been feared for his life. And yet he still followed, right? And these people left family. They even left their families, dude. Like, Peter, it seems, and I'm not going to say it's 100% historical fact, but it seems that Peter left his wife for a while, not uh, not divorced her, but left her like at the home with his mother-in-law while he went out and did ministry with Jesus. And then they came back when they traveled back. It seems that that's the way. Again, I'd have to do more historical uh, research on that. But I think there's a case study to be shown in if you want to follow Jesus well, you do it like these 12. Yeah, I think so too. I think Peter in particular, like you know, he, he's, he goes from being the most documented coward of all the disciples and in, in the way that he rejects Christ three times. He goes from that to being the rock upon which Christ is going to build his yeah. church. And so it's like, that's insane. And, you know, you see that across, you see, you see that with Saul and in his Damascus yeah. Road experience and all these major, like the encounter with the risen Christ changes you. But you even see, yeah, okay. So that's crazy. Cause you even see Peter, he does almost have a moment where it's like, it becomes about him and he just leaves, right? He goes off and goes fishing. When Jesus reappears to the disciples, he's like, where's Peter? Oh, he's not fishing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like he left. The rest of those fools were in the room, like waiting. Like, what, what are we supposed to do? What are we going to do? Peter, within three days, went to go fishing it. You know, like, yeah, he was like, ah, forget that. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, you can see how it became about him and about what he had done. And it, it ceased for a moment being about what Jesus had kept telling him was going to happen. Yeah. Like, he took his focus off of him. And then yeah. as soon as he put his focus back on and Jesus restored him, it like the rest, you know, quote unquote is history, right? Right. Yeah. It's focus is everything. And then, and it's, it tells you that it's a continual battle to continue to maintain your focus. Like you're not going to have this inflection point in your life where everything becomes easy after that. Mm -hmm. Like you have every day you have to pick up your cross <clears throat> every day. You have to decide what you're going to pay attention to. And yeah. like, man, that's a whole nother podcast we can get into yeah. on the value of controlling your attention. Let's, uh, let's end on this right here. If you, feel like you're burning out, if you are uncertain or you feel like it's just too much, I just want you to simply ask the question, why am I doing what I'm doing and who am I doing it for? Yeah. That's all you gotta do. Ask that question and answer it. If the answer has to do with yourself, then yeah, you're probably burning out. Mm -hmm. If the answer has to do with someone else that you are benefiting or better yet, God himself, then it might just be time that you're a little tired. Like, and you need to take a break. There's a difference between being exhausted and being overwhelmed. Right. Being overwhelmed is you've been, things have been thrown upon you left and right, and you're carrying burdens you shouldn't have. Yeah. Exhausted is I just ran a race mm -hmm. and I'm tired and I need some water and I need a nap and I need some food. But mm -hmm. exhaustion is your choice. Overwhelmed is things being brought upon you uh, because you've decided, you know, that you're not going to continue to look at what's important, right? right? So, yeah, and stand up for what's yeah, important. And also, yeah. just, I mean, always ask those questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And who am I doing it for? And if it has kingdom value, which by the way, if you have a family and it's doing it for your family, it has kingdom value. But if it has kingdom value, then you're just tired. Yeah, good stuff. You have been listening to the Uloft Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you in the next episode. Deuces. Thank you for listening to the Uloft Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 7.27 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.